Lie about better buddies? Never. And welcome back to Better Buddies. I'm your host, RJ. With us this week to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, we've got Calvin. Hi, that's me. And James. Hello. Happy St. Patty's Day, everybody. Happy everybody Saint take Patty's a drink on three. One, two, three. Three. Ah. Oh, that's some good shit. Our Better Buddies yeah. icebreaker this week to celebrate the holiday is who would win, Ireland or the descendants of all the snakes that St. Patrick drove out? Um, Ireland, <laughs> obviously. <Yeah. laughs> Come on, who won? Well, <laughs> when he drove the snakes into the water, did they all just die? Because then they have no descendants. Uh, well, that's like, well, the the that's supposed to be like a metaphor, right? Like it's supposed to be him, it? like driving out the probably like the non-believers or the yeah. Centers, I'm pretty sure it's like, like a metaphor because I'm pretty sure Ireland still has snakes. Does I no? I thought Ireland never had snakes. Ireland had snakes there never were any snakes in ireland yeah well so for the same reason there are no snakes in hawaii iceland new zealand greenland or antarctica it's because an it's an island yes an island? Yeah. Oh. well i mean then he you know then it is a metaphor or he did a really good job he went back <laughs> no. in time to the beginning of ireland where there was a single <laughs> snake and he said shoot no. go away <laughs> snake just got him at the beginning he punted it into the ocean. That was his yeah. miracle that allowed him to be a saint. He traveled back in time. RJ, do you remember there was there's a there was specifically in uh, Saint Bernard's there was like a mural of uh, yeah. of Saint Patrick uh, shooing the snakes out of Ireland. Yeah, remember I watching remember that. that? Yeah, I know you don't remember that because you're a Lutheran. I human. said I do remember that. You do remember that? Yeah, oh, I've been yeah. there. That's right. I forgot that. Just because I didn't go to were. church there doesn't mean I'd never been there. Heathens were allowed in our sanctified space. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> the church was open to all. So How else? Where else was I supposed to nail my problems with the church on a door? Oof. <laughs> got us. <laughs> I have complaints. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Martin right, Luther yeah, yeah. just wanted to see the manager. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. The servers here is poor. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Classic, no one can understand yeah. the server. Oh, seriously. Good old Martin Luther. I gotta should read more stuff. Gotta love those deep religious jokes. <laughs> yeah, cut cut deep, everybody. There was that movie that was made with... Uh, oh, Doc fuck. What is, Alfred no, was it the what? Yeah. What was the Luther movie that we watched? Yeah, and, that was the one with Alfred Molina playing the dude who was getting the tithes. I totally forgot Alfred Molina was in that. I know Ray finds his brother. I, I feel bad for forgetting his name, but he was in that. Mr. Fines. Mr. Fines. Is this just the one that. from this is the one from 1953 we watched. No, no we watched we watched the one from like the 90s, 2003. Or oh, there we go. Yep, yep, I remember this. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Joseph Fines and Alfred Molina. Joseph Fines, that's it. I always remember it because uh, uh what does he say? It's like it's the people's It's the religion. people's revolution. It's the people's it's the, Yeah, it's the people's car. <laughs> it's the people's refrigerator. Yeah, and we just kind of said that about everything then. Oh, uh, that was great. That was Is great. that where that came from? That yeah. is where that came from. Wow. Yeah, that movie. I know. The more you know. Oh, more you know. It's important. Is it? Yes. I think so. No, there's you know, there's a room where he where Martin Luther saw the devil and threw an inkwell at him. Yeah, we did. <laughs> we really? Yeah. Yeah. When we were in Germany. Germany. I totally forgot about that. Wait, what city was that in? Was it Wittenberg? Sure. Or Wittenberg? Oh, Wittenberg. It had to be Wittenberg. Yeah, it's Wittenberg. Wittenberg. No. <laughs> Yes. No. Yeah, it was because Wittenberg was Luther's whole deal. One of my most vivid memories from that trip is just sitting on the top of the bus with you guys because we were riding that double decker bus and we all that sat was the best. at at the 
top of the second level, so we could see like almost unfettered. Right up until like day seven of the trip when we finally pissed everybody off with how much we talked nerd shit. That's right. Kemp, uh, our teacher, put a moratorium on uh, video game talk. (laughs) So we switched over to Star Wars. So, yes, we outsmarted him, clearly. (laughs) Take that, you beleaguered uh, uh, supervisor. I think think the clearest memory I have of watching Iron Man 3 is actually in Germany. Really? Yeah, my host, uh, host family... The like ex- the student that was my age picked it up to watch as like a, oh you you like this I was like yeah heck yeah I like this, uh, and she invited her boyfriend over to watch it too, so we as soon as it was over I was like okay well good night and I immediately went to my room and closed the door so I stopped intruding oh, on the couple. I wasn't lo- no. Oh, she was cute. She was the one who was dating up. Uh, sorry to give out names of uh, the people we knew from <laughs> fucking like yeah. know, seven years ago. Um, but no, she was cute. I remember a um, little side story. I remember, do you remember we were taking a tour of some one of the cities? It might have been Rotenburg, it might have been Wittenberg. I can't remember. Um, but there was like an old German woman tour guide who was kind of like strict about like talking. Like she really wanted to impress on us like all the the historical importance of what we were seeing. Yeah. And I remember like uh uh at one point during the tour, I was kind of in the the back of the group and uh we're listening to this German this German woman talk about the the historic significance of some statue or some park or something like that. Uh, it was it was interesting, but I, you know, like a high school kid, my mind was kind of like wandering or whatever. I was standing near redacted, and she like looked at me and she leaned in and she was like, "Yes, listen to what the old German woman has to say." And I was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, what is this?" <laughs> like, witchcraft? Which is something like that. She was. It was a. It was a bit of a side eye, like uh, self awareness that I that I appreciated. I was like. Interesting. Uh, she was cool. She was really cool. Best thing about uh, that country is the prevalence of gummy candy. I went home with uh, so much of that in my bags. Back. I just, I dude, I went on a run with my host father. Calvin, <laughs> you're back. Great. Where did you go? I was frantically go? searching for something I momentarily misplaced, but found. But what'd um, you find? Oh, what did I find? So the other weekends, my dad was clearing out. Um, sorry, I'm trying to multitask and I'm not great at it. Uh, my dad was clearing out a um, end table. And there's what I'm looking for. Uh, he found a memory card. And oh. this memory card contained mm-hmm. pictures from oh, our trip. Oh, Oh. <laughs> I was listening. Uh, I just posted so, yeah. um, a picture from this would have been twenty, the summer of twenty fifteen. We, um, RJ, James, and myself went on a school trip. We had just graduated, but we were still able to go on our high school. Tri- um, tr- was running a trip to Germany for three weeks, and we went to Italy, Switzerland, and stuff. And we stayed with a host family, and so, there was like fifteen of us on it, and. I found a memory card with all of my photos from the trip. And one of the photos um, in the city of, uh, it was a walled city. If I was on Google Maps, I could probably find this. But it was a torture museum, a a medieval torture museum. And at the end of it, you could uh, stick your head through the, what is it, the stockade or something like that? Yeah, stockades. That were like big enough, they were cut out extra large so you could pop your head in through and you could like get photos. So there is a um, picture here of a young James and uh, RJ. A beardless RJ. It's baby face RJ. You were only, you were only barely 18. And this picture was actually taken this day we, like the quote unquote day we landed in Germany. Rothenburg, Rothenburg, Rothenburg. Yeah. That's where it is. 
Was it really? Wait, was yeah. this the beginning of yeah, our the first day? I remember this day vividly. <laughs> we landed in Frankfurt. Um, the people on the plane didn't. Nobody woke me up, so I never got fed on the plane. So <laughs> it had been a very long night day thing for me. I was tired and hungry, and we had to wait because we were the there were other tour groups that we were meeting. And we were the first to arrive, so we had to wait. And I still remember we took the bus into Frankfurt. And first thing we did was we stopped at a bakery. And I bought this bread that had cheese and little flecks of, like, cubed ham on it. And it is probably the single greatest baked good I have ever eaten in my life. The bus ride there, also, the first thing that we were told as we got on the bus was, do not fall asleep or take a nap because you want to be able to sleep at night. And the one thing yeah. we all did was take a nap on the bus. No, no, the, not, not right away. We made it to Frankfurt. We walked around a little bit, went back to the airport, picked up the other groups. And then we were like, all right, this is going to be. And then we all died. Yep. Uh, I believe it was you, James, myself, and Stella were all in the back of the bus. Because this was when we had the single seater bus. And we were like, we're going to be cool and all sit together at the way back where it's like a single bench seat across. And I think we fell asleep on each other's shoulders. We did. It so was cute. cute. And then I, and then we woke up at a rest stop. That that was one of the most disorientating times I've ever in my life because we were in a foreign country, incredibly jet lagged, and we just <laughs> woke up. And I was like, I literally have no idea where I am right now or how to get home from here. It didn't help that we stopped at a Burger King and the geography of Germany is basically identical to the geography of Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. So it was yeah. even more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Good time uh, though. Yeah. Great no, time. That was, yeah. That was, uh, uh, thought about that trip in ages. I haven't seen this photo in ages. That's this photo insane. was my, uh, uh, like wall picture. At yeah. the top of my Facebook profile for forever. Can't yeah. believe it. I'm wearing fucking car- cargo shorts and an Anchorman t-shirt. Like, how how much more, like, could you stand out <laughs> in fucking Germany? Jesus Christ. Jesus. So that, was, that, was a, that was a great trip, though. Yeah. That was a great trip. Fun. And they kind of inspired our... this. Well, James, we got to be careful. The last time we talked about this trip with RJ, the oh, ne- no. that night, like an hour later, you and I booked flights back to Europe. Yeah, that's... Yeah, talking about Europe <laughs> is, is a dangerous thing. <laughs> so I shouldn't mention how I really want to go to Ireland. I'm in. Let's go shut right up. now. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you think I won't? <laughs> James, are you telling me you don't want to go to Ireland on St. Patrick's Day? I'm not telling you I don't want to do anything, RJ. (laughs) (laughs) But you won't, James. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm not not disagreeing with you. Uh, Jesus. Well, let's move on to our next segment of the show. Uh, Better Buddies Recommend, where we recommend a piece of media to enjoy. Does anybody want to go first this week? RJ, if you want to go first, you can. Okay. <laughs> I like RJ. Uh, my recommendation is going to be Casino Royale. I watched it for the first time, like, two days ago. I've never really, seen it for the movie. first time. Yeah. How is it? Uh, it's pretty good. I was a little surprised at how, I guess, low-key it was and how long it was. Yeah. Um, I felt like it could have probably stopped, like, one sequence earlier than it did. Like, what do you mean? Like, where? Um, so spoilers for a movie from 2006. Good God, it came out in 2006. Yeah, because the first, like, two of the Daniel Craig Bonds are on Netflix. Um, came out in 2006. Yeah, Quantum Solace. Uh, so the movie is Bond has to go play in the high stakes poker game to stop the funding for a terrorist organization, yada, yada, yada. And the woman who is with him is clearly, like, set up to be... Oh, she's gonna betray him. She's gonna betray him. There's no way she doesn't. And predictably, she does. After they both, like... uh, He nearly dies. They finish the game. They save the day. They escape. They get kidnapped. They try to torture the info out of Bond to, like, give us the money, transfer us the money. 
He's like, I only have the password. I don't have the account numbers. And she's got the account numbers, but doesn't have the password. And they get saved. Uh, Bond recuperates. The Swiss banker shows up and is like, could you please put in the account and the password? And they do. And the woman and Bond are like, oh, we love each other. Let's run away together. And they go to Venice. And she's like, oh, let's uh, stay in the hotel. Hang on. Let me go quick uh, pull some cash. And he's like, okay, I'll be here. And she leaves. She accidentally leaves her phone with him. And he's like, he gets called up by MI6. And they're like, where's the money? He's like, we transferred it. Like, No, you didn't. He goes, oh shit, she didn't transfer it. She's stealing it. And it turns out she was blackmailed into giving it back to the evil guys. And there's this whole chase sequence and she gets trapped in a cage and a building collapses and the cage falls in the water and she drowns. Well, she not only drowns, she kills herself. Like Bond is trying to save her and she's like, no, I betrayed you. I'm going to just drown myself. Yeah. And like... We didn't need that last chase scene. Honestly. Probably could have, like, had her betray him back at the... When he was recovering. Uh, when the Swiss banker showed up to get the info. And he, in needed, his weakened state, he would have been unable to save her there. You needed the hope that they were going to have the happy ever after. It's James Bond. No, we didn't. Well, to be fair, it was kind of a reboot of James Bond's. Yeah. Because that- they hadn't made one in... Honestly, only probably 10 years. Um, But yeah, they kind of did a reboot thing. And also it's basically a rehash of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was like one of the early, which is supposed to be a early Bond. Because in in Casino Royale, he becomes Daniel Craig's James Bond, that you see him become a 007 and you see his first kill on screen. So it's supposed to be an early, early Bond. So you needed that momentary he falls in love and then loses it because that's like a in the bond mythos that's like a driving factor and what in in his like belief in how he works as an agent because he almost had it and then it was taken from him and from that point on he's jaded against real relationships so i see where you're coming from because they're kind of trying to set that establish that after we've already had like 30 bond films yeah so you're right in that aspect, but for someone who hadn't seen any Bond films before, and it was like, and for those new people they were trying to draw in, I would, th- I think it was okay. Yeah, it, it was enjoyable. I think the other thing that got me too was uh, the first Bond Bond films I've seen were Sean Connery and um, the oh god, who was the Pierce space Brosnan. one? Yeah, Pierce Brosnan. Oh no, no, that's not that's Moonraker's not Pierce Brosnan. Oh, whatever Moonraker's was. Be, what's his name? Timothy something. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Dalton. Yeah. Is so it? those are the Bonds I'd yeah. seen, which had more of the like gadgets and stuff. Oh, or it's Roger Moore actually. I think it might be Roger, Roger Moore. And Casino Royale had no gad, like almost no gadgets, and it was like, hang on, yeah, where's the gadgets? They, they turn. They kind of toned the the. Um, yeah, it's Roger Moore. Uh, they tone the gadgetness down for the Daniel Craig ones. It's a lot more action film than it is the whole spy gadgety film because yeah. that because that's just the times. The times were more geared towards action films than oh, they were towards those old school spy stuff. It's an attempt to try and ground Bond for a generation who's yeah. kind of lived almost like a cartoony almost like super mm-hmm. spy like you go back and you watch some of the sean connery films and it's like this is like a saturday morning cartoon like how could that <laughs> yeah. really like take this seriously so like hang on are you telling Daniel- me the character pussy galore is not a serious character <laughs> i'm telling you rj that the the character pussy galore may might rank amongst some of the best literary characters or, yeah, what about what about the one right. where there's um he's at the like craps or roulette table and this woman with like a low-cut dressed and large bust walks up and is like hi i'm plenty and of uh, james bond responds well of course you are <laughs> god bless sean Connery. no i Back when that yeah. was okay i mean it dude it's okay if you're handsome that's the rule right i mean no on. like that's i don't the, think that was i don't no. think that was sean Connery. Really? that was diamonds well, or whatever it's like 
I don't know that that's I mean, because that's the thing about James Bond that I, I like would equate him. And I don't know if this necessarily uh, registers. I think I've said this before, but he's basically like the British um, oh, Indiana Jones or like more succinctly, I guess, Indiana Jones is like the American version of a James Bond type. Yeah. So I don't know, like he's supposed to be the pinnacle of like he's supposed to be the most handsome kind of room in some way or another like he's supposed to draw women which like is that. why <laughs> henry cavill should be the next bond dude he uh well after his performance in uh the man from uncle yeah he I mean, absolutely it, should be the next bond he can pull he off the suave and the technology like the gadget stuff without being like corny about it what do you think about them talking about because i know this was a thing for a while what about like i just elba being the next just elba? oh i love that <sighs> I really, I really would. Just because I love Idris Elba. I don't care what he's in. I love him. <laughs> See, and that's that's my thing. I love Idris Elba. I think it would be a lot of fun, except he's old. Like, You think Daniel Craig isn't old? Daniel Craig is absolutely old. I'm, I'm thinking we need to like get a new Bond in. Just yeah, skew a little bit younger. The, the thing is like, well, wait, how? I don't know how old Idris Elba uh, is. Idris Elba is 48. So, so like, because how old was Daniel Craig when he first starred in the first? Well, film? Daniel Craig is five years older than Idris Elba. But how? What was the first Bond movie with him in it? And it was then what Casino was... Royale, two thousand six. Two thousand six. Oh, how old was he then? Uh, so, well, if he's fifteen years three, ago. so thirty-eight. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like the the newer, like I've only the only Bond films I've I've seen all the way through are Skyfall and Spectre. So I'm not like a scholar on this by any. Wait, those are oh, the only oh two Daniel God. Craig or the only two Bond films. The only two Bond films I've seen. Go a lot watch of more Bond God. and shut up. I know you need to I've watch seen, more Bond. I've seen a little bit of uh, From Russia with Love. I've seen the beginning of the the opening like chess scene, uh, but I have not seen anything. Watch ever. Goldfinger classic yeah. man with the golden gun also good but goldfinger's better i remember playing a lot of golden eye on the uh, gamecube when i was a nothing kid. like the movie no um, unfortunate but yeah my uh, job's not even a character in golden eye in the movie <laughs> he's from goldfinger <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'd recommend casino royale oh yeah nice who would like to go next Al, you next well, I'll just piggyback off that and recommend Goldfinger because that's my that's the that's one of the James Bonds I grew up with. That's a classic Sean Connery. Um, it's got all his cheesiness. Um, that's the lot. That's got the one where he um, is fighting a dude, throws him into a bathtub full of water because he was about to take a bath or something, and then throws a space eater in, electrocutes him, and just kind of adjusts his tie and just goes shocking <laughs> <laughs> nice classic perfect so classic because that's pretty much that's pretty much all sean connery's james bond that was like the kind of suave guy and then he'd have these really cheesy one-liners um and the fighting with because that was like the classic james bond where the fighting was like james bond could fight but it wasn't like amazing chore choreography like action films are today. And it's not like this insane hand-to-hand -hand stuff. It was a lot more of that spy stuff and a lot more of, like you were saying, James, of the cartooniness of it. That's when he had all these gadgets. Goldfinger is the one where he's got the car with the ejector seat. Yeah. Um, there, that's also got the one where he's about to be cut in half by a laser. Um mm. Yeah. So right? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> do you expect me to talk? Do, do they use? Do they use? I know. I expect you to die, Mister Bond. Uh, <laughs> trying to think. Do they? How many times does he get almost get cut in half by a laser? I think he almost gets cut in half by a laser in Die Another Day as well. That's Pierce Brosnan. It's an effective also, method of torture. It's not torture. Yeah. That's just a very slow way they're trying to murder him. Only but, if he dies. <laughs> True. Uh, but Die Another Day, for how crappy it is, is also got a special place in my heart because i that's another one I grew up on watching. Um, 
So oh, that was Pierce Brosnan. It's got some really bad, really bad CGI in it. Um, and it's the Pierce Brosnan level of Which one was uh, Die Another Day. Die that? Another Day is the one with the giant space laser. Yep, I've seen that. Um, and it's he's he's got the invisible car, <laughs> yeah, with the ice palace. It's got oh, the Bond girl in that one is um, Halle Berry, yeah. Which honestly, she could probably be a Bond girl again. Yeah, she probably still could. <laughs> Considering like they've gone for more sophisticated rather than just the outright like attractive aspect. I know they had Monica Bellucci, I think, in Spectre as um which I don't know if she was a Bond girl before, but like Monica Bellucci is was like at a time, you know, 35, 40 ish years ago, she was like you recognize her maybe from like the second Matrix movie. I mean she was she was rated as one of the like the most I think like attractive actress in the world at oh, one point. Was she in um, Matrix in the second? She movie? she's the like consort of the French guy in the oh, second. Oh, the uh, was movie. it ter- something Vangian, pair of Vangian, something? I can't. I I've only seen those movies like one time. Persephone. Persephone. That's it. Yeah, that's her. Yeah, so the the Merovingian. That's it. Yeah, the French dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, uh, no, like, so, like, the Bond movies at this point, because that's the thing about, like, the, the Daniel Craig Bond movies is they're kind of, like, quote-unquote, almost, like, postmodern. They're very self-referential. And I guess, like, I, again, because I don't know, like, I'm assuming a lot of Bond movies are self-referential. Sorcerer's Apprentice. She really? I saw that movie yeah. a long time ago. Jay Baruchel. I, I love that film. A Baruchel was in that movie, Hiccup from How to Train yeah. Dragon. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was Alfred Molina. Uh, I thought that was a great film. Garbage, absolute garbage. <laughs> yeah. But I love it. I was about to say, wasn't that like a really bad movie? Because the only oh, reference yeah. I have for it is the uh, Flophouse movie podcast episode where they watch bad movies. I'm just a fan of bad films. Yeah. I have a great time because you can just shut off your brain, don't have to think about it, and it, and it's just like this is fun. I don't care. I don't care what's happening. I have no stake in this film. It's just a good time. It's the it was the team that did the National Treasure franchise. Oh, nice. I think so, it was like Bruckheimer. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it's Gary Bruckheimer produced it, or yeah. maybe even yeah. No, it says uh, John. What is that Turtle Top? No way. Okay. Hello, I, I, I am Jonathan Turtletop at your service. I feel like I like I know that he's directed a lot of kind of stuff like that before. I can't think of anything else, but I know that he's kind of uh, a name in that genre to a degree. Really? Let's see what he did. I think so. He did the 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 National Treasures. Okay, then that's then there that's he did the Meg. He directed the Meg. Wasn't that the uh, the megalodon movie? Yeah, that was that, Jaws uh, that needed a bigger shark. Yeah, yeah, it was the big giant shark. That spoilers for the Meg. It was a big giant shark for the first half of the film, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's a giant shark!" And it is like massive. And then they kill it, and they're like, "Ah, we killed it." And then one the size of like like fifty times as big like swallows a boat, <laughs> and like the shark that they were fighting for like half the film, and then they have to fight the super big shark. <laughs> There's always a bigger fish. There's always a big So, uh, Goldfinger, nice. Yep. James? Uh, this is gonna be a bit, of, uh, a bit of a break. This isn't, like, necessarily, like, a media recommendation, but, um, in the, in the sake of the holiday, I was kind of just, like, Googling. Watch your words like, carefully, James. I, I, I promise I will, RJ. In the sake of the holiday, I was, like, Getting up random stuff about Wikipedia, about, say, Paddy's Day, about the diaspora, about the famine and stuff like that. And came upon this interesting article on Wikipedia. I kind of followed this um, rabbit hole about um, these women called the Wrens of the Kurach. That's like C-U-R-R-A-G-H. I don't know how to pronounce Kirach. it necessarily. Kurach in like in like Irish or whatever. Um, they were a group of women who lived uh, outside uh, the ta- like the the city of uh, Kildare, um, which is itself about thirty miles outside of Dublin, and they were called the Wrens of the Kirov because they uh, 
they were literally like transient women who lived in like uh ditches and ruts and like holes in the ground which they feathered over with like um the Kirok is like a outside there is like a field it's like a big common kind of type place so they would they would feather over like these basically nests um that they would sleep in and these women were like um uh they they were prostitutes they were alcoholics they were homeless women basically just people that like society had kind of like rejected and they formed a little community um uh near this kind of uh military base called the Kira camp and i had never heard about something like this i and i really dug into it there's a whole series of articles um written by I think it's Joseph Greenwood or James Greenwood or someone like that, like a Victorian journalist back in 1867 who wrote like a personal piece on these women where he went to like little commune and he kind of talked about these, these women like shared food, water, alcohol, homes, like kind of their own little micro community um, on the outskirts of Kildare. And they're pretty well known. A lot of them had been like, orphaned uh, because of famine. Um, okay. People think that they took root in the area, like in the in 1840s, and the was I think between like 1844, 1845, and 1849. A lot of them were orphaned because of this, and they they turned to prostitution because that was like the only way that they were able going to be able to like scratch out a subsistence um, living. And this community continued for like. 40, 50 odd years. Um, there are records of them, I think, like a little bit into the early 20th century. Um, I just thought it was really interesting because it was literally a group of women who were like living in ditches that they like hollowed out and um, they bartered with like the local military camp. They would sell like or, like claws that they made at markets. Um I never heard of something like this in Irish history or really in history, like in general. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. And there's like a small kind of Wikipedia article on them. I I've only read, I read the Wikipedia article and I've read the first um, article that like, yeah, and I can't remember his first name. It's either Joseph or like James Greenwood wrote on these, um, on these women. And hmm. uh, it's really fascinating. Um, uh, just because some of them would would be seasonal like some of these women would stay from like spring to fall and then they would move to like a workhouse which that was like wretched conditions like people smushed together basically and just really shitty conditions and other like some other women a core of them would stay in these like nests like all year round and that includes through the winter which is pretty so, intense for that time period which is nuts like i've never experienced an irish winter i've only experienced an american one i can only imagine what that would be like if you're like a woman who has you no know, clothes of substance on her again with you have barter like your altar from the elements literally yeah. dug in a field with like grass and wheat or kind of furs that you uh um it was rough it was rough and i, I just thought it was interesting um was because buddy. a uh <laughs> that's rough buddy uh because they just they just stuck it out um for like decades um hey and it, just, it was working <laughs> yeah so i mean something was there and i i thought the fact that they had been rejected from society and managed to form their own kind of little again like a micro society almost a commune um type place on the outskirts of kildare which was like a modest city at the time um it was really interesting to me i mean that and, was basically uh, shanty towns during the uh depression basically if the people in shanty towns didn't use like tin and wood for their homes if they literally just dug holes in the some ground some of them did they really i didn't know that that's also like what the first settlers did in wisconsin really dude yeah that's why we're the badger state i didn't the know miners that. yeah the miners would come, pop out of the side of a hill like badgers and uh then that adds to it i i was just like i was fast 
than me. Uh, again, I, I've never heard a history like this before. I've never heard like women kind of talk about this way before because the way that like Pete, like some of the um, official narrators, whether it was journalists of the time or just like like there's talk of like local priests from Kildare like beating these women in the streets or whipping oh them. Like oh, wow. until until well, blood. To be came. fair, the Irish were serious Catholic Catholics. Like Catholics. Oh, they, they were more Puritan than the Puritans. I mean, they like the <laughs> people. The people on the outside of Kildare basically thought these women were like a symptom of a social disease and like deserved whatever treatment. Like uh, the way that one of the journalists phrases one of the journalists phrases it is like a lot of people at the time thought they had just like succumbed to like vice because a lot of these women were like alcoholics like um which is what makes it really interesting like they would just you know they sell themselves and then they just like buy whiskey and they just drink in their in their like fucking holes you know what i mean and uh yeah just don't you don't think about stuff like that i i I thought it was like a really interesting piece of most people think about history in general though (laughs) <laughs> yeah well like people think about history i think in the sense of like oh that's it's this kind of grand narrative like you know the what that landed me where i am today but you don't think about all the little nooks and crannies and elbows and knees and all the little kind of like dark corners that like sprout up over the time of like unquote human development yeah. um which is why like stumbling upon this especially on saint patty's day um <laughs> i was just like this is great this is awesome like a couple like a group of 50 odd core women just fucking toughing it out, like drinking whiskey and nesting in a hole. And I'm not trying to make it sound like glamorous because it definitely fucking wasn't like there's reports of men from the nearby military camp, like fucking gang raping them. <laughs> there's like, it was a miserable existence and yet they still like held persisted, on. persisted. So um, I just thought it was a, it was a really, Interesting story and never heard of before, hmm. and I just uh, kind of wanted to share it. So yeah, that was a neat little history lesson. Wrens of the Cure. That's pretty neat. That's, That's pretty neat. neat. You can find a, a Wikipedia article on them, and then you, if you do a little more searching, you can also find just like the actual article that the that Greenwood back in like again the eighteen sixties eighteen seventies wrote on them, uh, which I think is worth a read. It's written in the very like. Kind of stilted, stuffy Victorian style, but it's uh, illuminating regardless. So, cool, cool. Oh, I, I um, what we were talking, I did remember something somewhat media. Uh, James, did you see what they are adding to Disney Plus in the next <gasps> month? I don't have Disney Plus, so I don't know. Tell me. Well, you could have read a news article. Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, they're adding. Uh, they're adding Star Wars Clone Wars. Oh, that's not what I was excited about. The the, the 2003 to 2005 one. Oh, shit. No way. The Tarkovsky or the yeah. Tarkovsky or whatever. Yeah, oh, that's fine. That's but, awesome. Wait, so you're Holy not shit. excited about the Ewok movies? They're also adding the Ewok movies. And the animated sequence from the, uh, the holiday, holiday special. special. That involves Boba Fett. Yeah. Kind of wish they were adding the whole holiday special. <laughs> George Lucas vowed to destroy every copy of that. I'm never going to see that again. No one should see it. All right, George. Okay, please. Put the knife down. All right. Um, but yeah, they're adding the uh, whatever his Russian name is, Torto Tortakovsky or whatever at the Samurai Jack. Yeah. Right, hold on, I gotta take a piss. I'll be back. Hold on. Thanks for okay. informing us. Welcome, sir. No, we're not welcome to this. Uh yeah. But yeah, so they're adding that. Are we gonna just keep vamping or are you gonna cut all this? We'll figure it out once we get there. We'll see what happens yeah, in you editing. Leave it. You should definitely leave it. Okay. You should just talk about how crap James is, because you'll never hear this. Okay. Was there was a difference between like Grievous and the two Clone Wars, wasn't there? Like wasn't one Grievous like super badass and the other just wasn't? Um, well, they kind of low, like that, the, the 2003 one, which is called Star Wars colon Clone Wars. And then the Cartoon Network one was called Star Wars, the Clone Wars. Um, so the Tartakovsky one was a lot more stylized and that's because in his style, which is like Dexter's Lab, Samurai, Jack, the, those, he, he created both those shows. So imagine that 
two-dimensional um, with very solid like line yeah, art. Yeah, very and very stylized. Um, and that was the introduction of Grievous because uh, that came out in between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Oh, yeah. So that actually introduced Grievous, if I'm not mistaken. And then um, it also introduced Asajj Ventress. And it's how Anakin gets his scar. Because in the third movie, he has that scar over, what is it, his left eye, I believe. Yeah. And that was given to him by Asajj Ventress on Yavin 4. Huh. And they fought. There's like yeah. a duel that happens. there's a duel that they have like he's he, they're like defending Camino in space. It's also the introduction mm-hmm. of like the arc whatever arc 130s I believe or the clone fighters, um, yeah. and they have like a space battle and Asajj Ventress like shows up and like runs and Anakin chases her and they they like make it all the way to like Yavin Four and have a battle on the steps of one of the pyramids and she like wounds him and that's what gives him the scar in the eye. I, I just like I would I would venture the argument that that um, series that two D series was more influential to like kids who are like people around our age that time than like some parts of the prequel trilogy were kind of for the same reasons you're talking about Cal like the idea that uh, oh, it came out before like episode three did because it came out mm-hmm. kind of before between episodes two and three I want yeah say. It, like it added backstory and bridged the two films. And, like, the way it's filmed is, like, no way, or the way I should say it's animated is the is a way that, like, no Star Wars movie would ever be animated. But it's kind of funny because, like, George Lucas based the first Star Wars movie off of, like, samurai movies. He based it off of, like, Seven Samurai, The Hidden Fortress, stuff like that. And clearly, Gendy uh, Tartakovsky has, like, uh, samurai movie influence in the way that yeah. he chooses well, as the creator movie. of Samurai Jack as the creator of Samurai Jack and like it's clearly got like a, an at the very least an eastern if not specifically like a Japanese influence to it mixed with kind of like a Russian sentiment because um, there's a lot of just like static quiet still shots and it's awesome like it, it it's a great piece of animation that might pop for me some of the prequel movies honestly <laughs> i actually yeah. haven't seen the film like any of them really i've seen like really? small small bits of it oh. i think i saw the bit where yoda just goes ham and lays waste to like ten thousand battle droids at the at the battle of uh coruscant yeah. um but, I... but like, the, like the power scaling for the jedi and that i know is like insane it is because I, which made it made Grievous all the more impressive because I've seen clips of that like Battle of Coruscant fight where Mace Windu and Yoda are just destroying f- entire armies of droids. Meanwhile, the Chancellor Palpatine is being escorted out by like a Jedi and like two or three Padawans, and Grievous just cuts through them. No, Grievous is a pretty, um, well, because you see scenes of him not just training, but you see scenes of him with, like, Dooku specifically. So you get kind of, like, an understanding as to their relationship, um, which wouldn't be evident in movies. uh, Because Grievous, obviously, he first shows up in Revenge of the Sith, like, in the cinematic universe. Um, But in the extended, like, which is what I would argue, obviously, like, Clone Wars falls into... He shows up in that TV show and you you see him again, not just training, um, but him one on one with Dooku and you get a sense of their kind of like relationship, which is kind of interesting. Um, And he's a much more like posing figure. It's interesting because in the the other Clone Wars TV show, like the the CGI 3D one, Grievous is played almost like a horror monster. Like there's Uh a very... In a couple kind episodes. Of, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking mainly of the episode where the Jedi go... Grievous' lair. Yeah, yeah, to his, like, lair stronghold, and they have to go through, like, the, the labyrinth and the warrens, and they're kind of challenged in that way. That's got uh, Kit Fisto and Kit Fisto's former Padawan. Ooh. That's a good episode. Yeah, that... No, that, that one was really good. And I... Like, for me as a kid, even, like, anytime I'd play... Uh, 
heroes and villains. I loved playing Grievous. I think Grievous is such a cool looking character. I think that's for me more than anything. Like I just love his uh his look. I love the kind of skeletal. I also love that he's uh like his backstory is interesting because isn't yeah. it like he was like a former warlord and yeah. he was like doing a mission yeah. and then his troop transport gets blown up and it was blown yeah. up by bombs planted by dooku yep dooku tells him that it's the jedi who blew it up yep and that creates like an eternal enmity between and, and dooku and used his like Sith powers to keep Grievous alive and to like help turn him into the cyborg that he becomes. Which yeah. is like I I wish, and I know that's so much story. I wish in some way that was clear in Revenge of the Sith. I know like mm -hmm. that would be really difficult to do, but if you could somehow show that, that would turn the movie into something like really, really interesting. Um, but I don't know. That's why I really love Grievous. I love his whole like kind of backstory and motivation. Like the idea that he basically was the victim of like a Sith psyop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that he's like kind of sent on this forever war that, that his motive is both baseless and has really no purpose beyond the conflict itself. And I he's effective. Like, I think oh, that's the scariest thing to me is he is effective at what he does. He's got four lightsabers that he stole from Jedi after killing them. Well, he's got yeah. more than that. Like, there's that whole part of the Gendy Tarkovsky um, uh, Which show. Which I haven't seen. He, sorry, where there's the whole episode where he faces down, like, three or four or five-ish yeah. Jedi. And, like, it just, like, a, a burned out, destroyed, crashed frigate or cruiser that's that, like, crashed on a planet. And he slaughters them. Yeah, like, no, the the power scaling for everyone in the in the Tortakovsky's uh, Clone Wars is pretty ridiculous. But it's Which so it, cool. No, it is a hundred percent. It's permissible because it's animation. I feel like so. There's already a suspension of disbelief. Honestly, um, I think it does a better job of showing what their powers probably would be like. It's just that you wouldn't you you're more ready to believe it in animated form than you are in live action. Yeah. I would I, I would agree with that. I would say, like, I don't think Lucas would ever do it, but I almost feel like the prequel trilogy would have almost been better served if it had been, like, fully and, like, quasi-realistically animated instead of live action. Because there's just a lot of stuff you could do still with animation that would look both, like, kind of cool and believable that you couldn't do with, like, the digital technology at the time, you know? Yeah. But his whole point heard with that series with the prequel trilogy was like he wanted to push digital technology like beyond yeah. what people thought it could be so I understand where he's coming from from like a mechanical technical standpoint but there's some clear kind of like failures that happen along the way because of that but still really like that world and that series can you imagine so. though if episode one had come out animated like they got uh, plenty of backlash for Jar Jar and being too like simultaneously kid-centric and not <laughs> they called him cartoony so what would they do if he was an actual cartoon yeah imagine, <laughs> imagine if it was animated almost like a ghibli movie and i don't mean in the style but just in that kind of sense that'd be interesting that, in of itself though yeah and that weight and proportion like if it had been taken into animation with a little more gravity because i think the problem is like the original trilogy you don't really go to that many like fantastical locations as you do in like the uh the prequels like there's much more um there are many more scenes in the prequels that rely on kind of the special effects i'd argue than the original trilogy does and i feel like if lucas had opted for that because he was kind of going i feel like with the prequel trilogy he was trying to make it degree for kids like he wanted a new generation to kind of get like introduced to at least the idea of star wars through and it. he and, succeeded and he did he honestly did i feel like he would have done a lot better if he had gone the traditional animation route and had really invested his time like a partnership in the early 2000s between george lucas and miyazaki making the new star wars prequel trilogy would have been insane that would have been crazy. I don't think Miyazaki ever would have done it because no. Miyazaki <laughs> already hates it. 
ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) Miyazaki was like a decrepit, sad old man before. Um, After Totoro, I was reading some articles on him and he basically like, he doesn't like hate Totoro. He's like proud of it. But the problem is like, it seems like he's been unable to get away from the iconography of Totoro so much so where he's like, some people say it's like it turned Totoro into a rival for him. Like he wanted to top it. I completely sympathize with him. (laughs) Why? Because I've told this before. I don't know if I've told on the podcast, but leading up, I saw Totoro when I was 18. And leading Mm. up to Totoro, all I, no one had told me anything about it except Totoro. It's this fantastic, fun fantasy adventure. The kids and the cat bus, and it's all so cute. Which, like, yeah, it was good. But it got it was so overhyped for me that I was expecting like a two hour feature length film of fantasy adventure. Yeah, it is no. not that. <laughs> it's not no, at all. It's more like you're just kind of hanging out with those characters. Oh but, yeah, it's a slice yeah. of life. It's just nothing happens. It's calm, relaxing, cute. That's all it is. Which if if people had prepped me for that, I probably yeah. would have enjoyed it more. Yeah, I think the problem is like Totoro gets hyped up because of its look more than it than its actual story. So yeah. I because I kind of had the same like I tried to watch Totoro once and then like 20 minutes in I was like, I'm not going to do this. And then I went back like a couple months later and rewatched the thing. And I was just kind of like, OK, I kind of get it. Like it's kind of you're just hanging out with the characters, but clearly the most iconic parts of that movie are not like don't have anything to do with story or theme they just mm-hmm. have to do with how like Totoro looks in comparison they're all character design yes yeah which like which is fine again but like it's nothing that special if it's that like then just go look at some art if it's like that's all you're gonna obsess over it doesn't yeah, have to be in a movie then like, no way like that kind of art design that just creates and generates that kind of response clearly has something going for it even if the diehard fans or even the creator can't really quantify or qualify it but i agree it's like then just make a series of kind of still frames like paintings you know what i mean then don't make a, a movie that involves like story and all that i'm not hating on totoro well, I, I definitely I'm- understand I think part of the problem is audience uh, interpretation versus creator intent and that old chestnut. Uh, Meaning th- Well, I think, like, when they made it, when they made Toto, they were like, hey, this is fun. We had fun with this project. It's cute. It's for kids. Awesome. And kids will love it. It's cute. It's chill. And then the kids did love it, and it was chill. And those kids turned into teenagers and adults and went way overboard about how Totoro is their favorite thing ever and those such good designs, which yeah. then overemphasized the design aspect over the actual film itself. Yeah, because how many people who like Totoro have actually seen the movie? And that sounds very elitist, but I also find it to be true. Like, how many I actually, I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people have actually seen Totoro. I would just argue they were caught up in the wave of like Totoro is the best thing ever. And if you actually get them to sit down and talk about the film and be like, what do you like about the film? What happens? What makes it good? Their response is going to be all, but Totoro is just like awesome and so cute and like cat butts. (laughs) And they're, that's all they're going to really say. Yeah. Totoro yells at the children. He terrifies them at first. (laughs) It's actually interesting because he it that movie shares an ending with like a, a Spanish film that was made like twenty odd years before it, like a live action Spanish film that is like a retelling of Frankenstein, and those two movies share the ending where like a little girl, uh, sorry, spoiler alert uh, <laughs> for anyone who hasn't seen Totoro, or the Spirit of the Beehive, which is the the English translation of the that Spanish movie. Um, it's a retelling of Frankenstein and not just like the, the story Frankenstein, but the movie like that was made back in the thirties or whatever. And there's a scene, like a sequence that's very similar at the end of both Totoro and the spirit of the beehive where like a little girl goes missing and the whole town goes out to look for her. And she like find her as the camera and the film kind of like alone uh, somewhere with like the monster I, I i haven't seen these two movies in a while so i'm kind of piecing it together but it's a very interesting parallel and i don't know if miyazaki like had seen that spanish movie before or was like aware of the kind of themes he was almost replicating 
but it is an interesting kind of similarity because both movies end with like the girl kind of seeing the monster and then the monster like quote unquote goes away and she reunites with her family and it's kind of like a whole metaphor for like innocence meeting nature in a sense and um like yeah I think Miyazaki it's really interesting because he never apparently writes scripts he just starts making yeah he just starts drawing he just starts making pictures and he's like I'm gonna basically make the best picture you've seen and it's gonna last for an hour and a half which is Uh, why in a lot of Ghibli films there's just long shots of nothing happening which is what's awesome about them which makes them no that makes them great yeah yeah well, because it gives you a sense of like, that's the kind of shitty thing sometimes about a, a lot of anime is it doesn't give you a lot of time to actually like sink into the world and yeah. kind of absorb it. Whereas like Miyazaki's films have a more quote unquote cinematic pace and you can kind of sit, watch these images pass by um, without really any interference or worry about what's coming next. Um and that's even true with his like more quote unquote frenetic films, like something like Castle of Castiglio. You know, like, yeah. they're still beautiful. That's such a great film. All My right. favorite of his is still Mononoke. Personally. So we're gonna move on now because we're getting close to the end. Well, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna answer at least a couple questions uh, from How to Be a Better Buddy, our segment where we give some humorous and real advice. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, the first question is why would he say it uh further details a friend asked how aa sessions are going and i said good he said that's amazing glad to hear it did he think they wouldn't work i mean i think you're being a a little paranoid oh i mean i get where the person who's asking is going because it's obviously a sensitive issue for them because that's ob for obvious reasons it's very difficult it's like a hard thing to go through and deal with that addiction and all that stuff and like to fight it. And I'm understandably so probably more sensitive about people doubting you and all that stuff. But I feel like they're, that was just like, they were just trying to be supportive, encouraging. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, just a miscommunication. Yeah. It's a miscommunication or mistranslation. Cause I think uh, assumedly, unless this person has been to AA before and you didn't, you know, know about it, like, they probably don't really know what you're going through, but they're still trying to be like a supportive friend, which is an incredibly like honorable and like noble thing to do. And that's why you kind of got to let that stuff roll because they're trying to be supportive, but they don't really know what you're going through, which again is like honorable and noble, but it's going to ring kind of hollow to you because you do know what you're going through. And I think you just got to trust that they like, do genuinely yeah because like even if they don't know specifically what you're going through they're They're still still trying to help yeah they're still sticking by you which is a really that's like number one one of the number one qualifications for being a friend so yeah so just take the compliment and keep at it keep it up don't worry about it too much yeah you're gonna be fine our next question uh do you think a person that brags about how they are always happy dot 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 is weird <laughs> oh that's a great question i'm going with yes if you mm-hmm. if you have to emphasize how happy you are all the time you're probably always not you're yeah like calvin said you're probably not that happy you're trying to convince yourself you're that happy yeah you're trying to convince yourself and others <laughs> Yeah, I've always kind of, I think, I don't know if I've said this before, but it's kind of like the missionary uh, position. I don't mean that in the way that you think. Let me explain. You mean Um, like missionaries to another country for a religious purpose? That's actually exactly what I mean. Yeah. Like if you were so content with your state, you wouldn't feel the need to proselytize or convert anybody because you're content kind of being how you are like i think it's a sign of somebody mm-hmm. who's deeply un- unhappy or discontent I would, I would argue with that a little bit because it is a common thing of like you were raised catholic james you know go spread the good word yes that that to me so that I would, I, understand. I would argue it's a little bit depending on why the person chose to go into the missionary rather than the I, missionary I, itself i i agree with that i think there is a Uh, I would say I think there's a clear and fine but definable line between like 
spreading the good word out of the goodness of your heart because you believe it and spreading the word because like converting somebody gives you some kind of like subconscious or conscious kind of like sense of righteousness or whatever you mean um so like that's my biggest thing i guess is like someone who is really happy doesn't really feel the need to convert anybody unduly because they are content to be how they are and they believe that people no matter what are kind of going to be fine if they see that somebody is hurting they'll say something but they won't read them the gospel um and i would say then like someone who's bragging about how happy they are like that could just be somebody who's really happy to be happy or it could be somebody who's like reading you quote unquote the gospel of like happiness in which case like you just got to kind of be discerning and vigilant yep so yeah if they're that happy all the time maybe they really just want to brag about it but they may not be quite as happy as they think they are yeah and i think regardless like following that logic it's like you just got to let them kind of hang out you know what i mean you just yeah. gotta kind of let them be, and you gotta you gotta kind of judge it as the situation progresses. Because do you really want to be the person to look them in the eye and say, "No, you're not"? Yeah, you don't want to levy that uh, claim without kind of appropriate <laughs> um, evidence, because that could turn ugly pretty fast. You'd go around and brag about how you make other people sad. Yeah, if I know Catholics, they're a violent bunch. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Our last question for this week. What are some realistic ways to get rich in five years? Sell your body. Sell your Win soul. The lottery. Sell your kidney. Rob a bank. Uh, I, no, I, just one, though. You don't forget you need the other one. I don't mean sell your body necessarily just in the sexual sense. I mean genuinely like literally. Like you have <laughs> organs that you can lose. You could probably live without one lung. Yeah. Honestly, if you're being honest. You can you, you can live without one kidney and you can sell and you can live without part of your liver. There Hell, you, you can even you can live without a heart if you can pay for that uh, transplant and sell a pig's heart, sell skin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Literally, sell grafts of your skin. You, I, oh, wow. Don't people do that? Yeah. Mm, oh, yeah. Probably. Um, steal your grandma's jewelry and go clubbing. Yeah, I mean that's a don't question that. where it's like you, you are. If you want to get really rich in five years, like don't look at the stock market, don't look at anything. Like you're just going to kind of have to look around you and see how you can like get rich off of the material that's kind of in front of you. Like I would argue, if you yeah, if you want to get rich that, in five years, you have two options: you either become a criminal, or you become a criminal on Wall Street. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> a couple thousand miles. And this is also true. <laughs> Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with that. Like, yeah, you're either either way, whatever activity you're engaging in, you're probably gonna feel, and so it's gonna completely consume your life. Yes, yeah, awesome. That's another episode. Thanks for joining, Bro. fellas. Yeah. Happy St. Patrick's Day to all. Happy St. Patrick's Day night. to everybody listening. Happy St. Patrick's. Day. I hope St. Patrick in his uh, leprechaun drawn uh, chariot, I guess. Uh, brings everybody some shamrocks. Leprechauns are drawing his chariot. Yeah, why yeah. not? No, I, I hope you have luck. Hope you have luck. I hope they get like, paid. your hangover tomorrow isn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. I, I hope uh, you get blessed. On, I hope uh, you get some of those uh, bubblegum coins. Yeah, on the morning yeah. after the special day. Yeah. yeah, it's like chocolate it's coins, but they're bubblegum. So it's horrible. They're great. Completely yeah, they're novelty. Nothing. Do you remember going leprechaun hunting in elementary school? What? Yeah, when we, we made leprechaun traps. Yeah, we what? did make leprechaun In first grade, traps. we made leprechaun traps. I made a very right, good right. Catholic I, school. I guess you're not Irish enough. I apologize. <laughs> My trap was I had a like box with a cup, a styrofoam cup of water uh, on the top and a sharpened pencil underneath and a little sign that said, poke here for gold. And oh then there God. was quick dry cement. Oh my god, that's horrifying. Well, I the can't... intent was to catch him. Sounds like your yeah, intent was to drown him in cement. No, no, no. Oh. He was he was standing in it. So it would it would quick dry and his feet would get stuck. Immortal. They'll be fine. I, I mean, like, if I had really, you know, if you're really going leprechaun hunting, just probably bring a gun <laughs> or something. You bring a you're gonna have to gun. Out, you're gonna have to outsmart him some way or another. So that's that's kind of the trick. So but, good uh, luck with the leprechauns luck everybody
Thank you to the band Problem of Interest for letting us use their song Living in the Moment off the album Cross Off Yesterday. It's on iTunes and Spotify. Our podcast, Better Buddies, is on iTunes and Spotify. I'm sure you probably know that already because how else are you listening to it? Uh, maybe you're on Google or you, I don't know. Um, so like and subscribe and share and that fun stuff. Tell a friend about the show because that's the only way listener base grows. And it'd be fun to have more than six listeners a week. Sometimes we get up to 12. That's pretty cool. Ooh. It means um, we have a core fan base for like an indie band. We have a very small, solid base. It's Real like a reverse pyramid. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, only for here. Go find us on social media and share our posts. We're on Facebook, Better Buddies. Twitter, at BetterBudCast. Use the hashtag BetterBuddies when you tweet about the show. Gmail, BetterBuddiesCast at gmail.com. Send us fan art, hate art, fan letters, hate letters, uh, recommendations of, uh, like, icebreaker questions. If you have a question you need advice on, send that in. We'll be happy to help as worst we can. Um, And last but not least... Be a better buddy. Jameson is like maybe the best like consumer whiskey. I yeah, think. like budget whiskey. Yeah. And it's not like, even, well, it's not even that budget because it, this, first of all, I'm pretty sure Metro Market upcharged jameson today because of saint patty's day because oh, i'm God. fairly positive on the label on the shelf it said 24 bucks and then when i bought it it said 29 dollars, and it said jameson saint pat they added a five dollar charge because it's saint patrick's day those fucking bastards charging my people for our necessary nutrients. All right, boys, Got I'm going to grip it and rip it.